Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Solopek from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by my colleague, Pedro Martins, Chief EM Equity Strategist. Pedro, welcome to the program. I wanted to talk first about China's slowdown and what it means for you. I mean, we've just had uh, the specter of property defaults again, bad export numbers, bad TSF number, ugly data, but at the same time, is this something that will improve at some point? How is that feeding into your EM stock viewing? Hey, Tom, thank you very much for the invite and discussion. I think the short answer on China is it is a disappointment, right? There is no sugar coating uh, in, into your question. How does it feed into um, EM? I think we're talking here about two dimensions, right? So dimension number one, it has nothing to do with macroeconomics. It has to do with the perception of risk premium. And, and this is something that has been very important uh, for global investors to get in and out of China over the past uh, few years. Um, the two things on the table, one is geopolitics, hard to model, hard to quantify. The other one is the implementation of common prosperity and, and where will the pendulum swing, right? So will it swing market friendly or market unfriendly? For that matter, I think investors are operating with a semi-variance a mindset, which is you position when you perceive there is cheapness, when you believe that is closer to fair value, you are maximum uh, neutral, no matter where the macroeconomics are. Okay, uh, China currently is trading uh, close to ten to ten and a half times forward PE. Uh, the historical reference uh, for this multiple it's eleven and a half times. I sense that uh, once a valuation gets one standard deviation below the reference, investors get a little bit more excited or feel cushioned for the uh, this equity risk premium risk, but that number is nine and a half times forward. So we still have some, some way to go. The other dimension is your question, macroeconomics, right? And um, I think here you've got excitement on China late last year, first quarter this year, and then disappointment, right? So second quarter onwards with the degree of uh, uh, reopening boost plus uh, the other problems that I've mentioned. So weakening external demand and lack of domestic investments. I think for that matter, I would say the half full view you can say is that with all of those problems, China is forecasted to grow yet for plus percent into next year in an year in which the US um, will be growing around 1%. So, so the, the growth gap of EM to developed markets will grow larger in favor of EM next year. The glass half empty is that for you to get there, for China to grow four plus next year, uh, the government needs to step in, right? And, and the expectation is that there's going to be a little bit of a monetary support, uh, triple R cuts, more policy rate cuts, and a little bit of a fiscal cushioning uh, into that as well. But so far, that's not convincing. So what does it mean? Number one is that uh, the closer you are to China and the closer you are to domestic consumption in China, probably you are better off. Right? So I think um, the main beneficiaries within Asia from that view have been Korea and Taiwan uh, year to date. The second meaning is that uh, uh, it doesn't read great for commodities in general, right? So I think investors are trying to be more exposed to uh, commodities in which uh, demands for uh, the demand fundamentals are equally split between households and investments, 
rather than all investments. So that means physical tech, so same as tech hardware, better than base metals, soft commodities, better than pulp and paper, and energy probably close to energy transition metals as well. So this is less than the usual support uh, you can get to for the exporting uh, EM countries, so the Middle East uh, and, and Latin. There are other dynamics in those markets, but I think that's what it means uh, for intra-EM. Uh, to conclude, um, it's not helping uh, for EM to bring in uh, inflow of money from international investors or from global investors. We've got a very strong first quarter of the year in which EM got net inflow of funds close to $40 billion. But then since then, second quarter of the year onwards, those flows have been kind of floppy, right? So a little bit up, a little bit down, uh, but the net uh, uh, inflows since the second quarter have been close to zero. Yeah, so basically on the China side, cheap, but getting a bit cheaper. In terms of delving a bit further into the top-down views and the, and the macro, one of the things that's come up from our economists is the uptick in the possibility of, of Goldilocks in, in the U.S., but obviously this is a much more different Goldilocks than we're used to in the post-GFC era when we had zero interest rates. This is a Goldilocks where you have the 10-year bond yield at 4.2% and the 30-year mortgage at 7.5%. I'm just wondering on the EM side, do you think EM can handle a stronger dollar, perhaps a higher US interest rates, and maybe spend a few seconds to look into some of the rate cutting cycles on the EM side? What does that mean for you? Don, I, I think the ideal scenario for EM would be the one in which China would be doing better. That's not happening so far. And also in sync, in which the US would be phasing out from its exceptionally strong moment we saw over the past few years. That's also not happening, as you pointed out, right? So the view is that the US is gonna be slowing, uh, its GDP growth is lower than expected, and that rates will be higher uh, for longer. So that means, I, I believe, uh, higher competition uh, for EM, or, or there is no hurry, or there is no immediate desire for those global investors to jump into EM. Yet, uh, and, and to be fair to myself from the EM perspective, um, international equities are, are having a pretty interesting year because investors are trying to diversify away from the US. So Europe got a very strong first quarter along with EM. Then second quarter, both Europe and EM lost momentum, but then Japan uh, did very strongly. And then at some point we think the case for EM resurfaces, but that depends on China doing better and the US phasing out. And this is probably a story for maybe first half uh, of next year. Once that happens, um, uh, the, the conditions for EM to do well, they appear to be positive, right? So number one, um, positioning. Long-term global investors are 6% allocated into EM equities versus historical references of 9% versus the neutral of EM in global portfolios of 11%. So there is a, there is a meaningful degree of under-positioning into EM equities and any spark, China-led or US-led, I think could lead into massive inflows. We, we estimate that the gap for you to go back to historical 9% allocation is something close to $650 billion 
or of a dedicated AUM pot of 1.5 trillion. So it's meaningful uh, percentage versus the, the stock, okay? The number two point that you asked, uh, will EM yet be able to cut rates in, in this environment that US rates are likely to be higher for longer? The short answer to that is yes, but more on the high yielding side. Uh, so, and that already started a ton. So Chile cut more than expected a weeks back. Brazil cut more than expected a week back. And we think the reason why some of the high yielders in EM will be able to cut rates despite this view for the US is that they have high level of real interest rates. We don't see many or relevant external imbalances and there is no uh, demand driven pressures as much as you have had in the US in most of those economies. So we believe that if you think regionally, Latin America is the one to lead. So Chile, Brazil, then later uh, Peru, Colombia, Mexico, probably later in the year will lead. Um, and then probably by uh, the turn of the year, you're gonna be joined by other relevant markets. I think India is, uh, is another one. And finally, um, uh, the uh, questions about uh, the dollar, right? So uh, our house view, and I kind of uh, have very deep sympathy for that, is that this environment uh, of high rates in the West for longer continues to make the dollar kind of a nice carry currency versus low yielders, notably uh, developed market currencies. But yet uh, the, the, the differential of real rates or nominal rates between US and, and some of the high yielders in EM, it's, it's a big one. So we, we, we don't see that at risk. Uh, and even our global effects team uh, still have sympathy for those high carry uh, positions in, in, in EM. And my final point here is that there is some value optionality on the table. So we know that EM equities, they do trade with a discount to develop market equities for, for long. Uh, but uh, EM's trading close to a 10% wider than historical discount to develop markets uh, P and uh, close to a 25% wider than historical discount to DM price to book. So that's also optionality on the table. With regard to the dollar, I mean, it, it's very interesting. You have this positive carry, but at the same time, you can also think of it as a recession hedge given the, the dollar smile. So you're basically getting paid effectively with that DM carry trade to hedge some recession risk there. I mean, with regard to some of the valuations you're talking about, yeah, certainly cheapness is appreciated. And, you know, based on my conversations with clients, this is the thing that most frequently comes up is that when you look at a lot of the asset classes, a lot of the asset classes have, you know, have gotten more expensive this year and, and they're questioning how much more room is there. And especially, you know, when you have the challenge of a much higher hurdle rate with, you know, nice safe assets like cash and, and U.S. high grade to go into. On your side, what, what do you see as a kind of most compelling risk premium, most compelling valuations on the regional side? Are you running on, into this situation where people are questioning at this point with rising rates, whether stocks can digest rising rates? And where does that show up for you? Oh, Tont, um, I think we are kind of in an opposite camp, right? So in, in the U.S., the discussions are the S&P is back trading almost 20 times forward PE. That's a very strong depart from the historical reference you have there. And if there is some sort of a de-risking risk on the table. 
in most of EM, it's quite the opposite, right? So uh, the valuations are below any historical reference, below uh, um, uh, on historical below DM historical references. So that's why we are getting those inbounds, right? So in EM. So tell me a story about EM valuation. The story is how what needs to happen for the discount to close for echo risk premium to compress there. Okay. Uh, the most compelling area um, uh, in EM undoubtedly is lies on Latin America, right? So you 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 do have uh, devaluations in Latin America trading wide um, discount uh, to any historical reference. So Latin is trading at 8.6 times forward PE as a reference. Historical uh, reference here is 11.7. So you are kind of a one and a half standard deviation cheap versus history here. In Latin America, Tom, you have uh, two cases, right? So, and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be brief to that. You have the deep cyclical cases and I'll put in there our overweight in Brazil and Chile is a very close story in which those marks will be cutting nominal real rates pretty fast. And that will be, in my view, the key catalyst for one, uh, multiple expansion and two, cyclical impose to the economies or EPS or GDP growth into, into the future. And you have the more structural case, which has been the big uh, surprise of the year, which is Mexico, which benefits of the strength of the US plus the near shoring, French shoring dynamics, which are showing up bottom up and top down metrics there. So def definitely that is the by far most interesting one. And then on the Asia camp, um, which is the, the elephant in the room in terms of the weight in EM, um, our most interesting cases are one on the tax space and Korea is our key overweight market. And the other interesting to watch is what to do within the ASEAN space, the smaller uh, caps in there. Indonesia and Thailand come up as good alternatives as well. Let me just let me just ask you a question about Mexico. Uh, we do something with principal components where we look at a bunch of markets and we see what's out of whack. Mexico often jumps to the top of the list. Obviously, we have a currency with very high carry and good performance on this theme of friend shoring, near shoring. Do you think uh, Mexico is stretched or do you think there's more to go here? I don't think Mexico is stretched. Uh, when I look backwards, to look forward, I see three components for the Mexico story year to date. One is the carry on the currency. I think that will remain. And, and if you think about relative to other high yielders in EM, this will get better at the margin, in my view, because other high yielders will cut faster than Mexico. So relative is gonna be, it's gonna gain attractiveness. The other component uh, of the year to date performance is the US equity performance and economic performance. As you look forward, we are less enthusiastic about the marginal uh, returns from the S&P. We do forecast a meaningful slowdown in growth in the US next year. So I think that's gonna be kind of a, from positive to a negative development. And then the third one is the near shoring, French shoring. I think that's secular tone and, and, and this will be a multiple lever for a couple of years. And this is manifesting into inbounding flows in the real economy, FDIs, way ahead of the historical norm. Uh, and also bottom-up evidence. We're seeing real estate uh, rental going up. We're seeing passenger airline traffics going up. We're seeing regional banks in the northern area going up. But, but at a high level, uh, to conclude, 
the better it goes and, and the more anchored is the economy and the currents, what appears to be kind of a niche story for the northern part of Mexico becomes a bigger one. Because when you have a very strong and healthy economy with a strong currency, you're basically transferring wealth from the exporters to the domestic consum consumers. And that's the lion's shares of the Mexico index composition. So not stretched and it's still a good story to chase. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. And if you want to deep dive into any of those thoughts, feel free to reach out to any of us or to your JP Morgan sales representative. Thank you, Tom. Great. Thanks, Pedro. Thanks for that update. And thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.